This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, it's Christoph Trapp coming at you here with episode 263. December is in full swing. Today, we want to talk about timeless and timely content. Interesting topic, always, what we do, what do we do? What's timeless? What's timely? How do we mix the two together? So who better to talk to other than the Scott Monty? He's a um, strategist out there, been around uh, for a number of years. I've run across him, I don't know, a few years ago, probably content marketing world or something like that. He can tell us if he remembers the story differently. Um, let's bring him on the show and talk about how do we go about creating content in that way. Scott, how's it going today? Christoph, I'm doing well. It's so exciting to be here with you. I mean, always great to have big names like you and, and many of the other guests on. And it's always great to learn new things. That's, you know, if nobody was listening to the show, I'm still learning a ton. Now, people are listening, so don't 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 hang up right now. But uh, but personally, I always learn so much as well. Um, so why, what's the passion, what's the interest in timeless and timely content for you? Why, why is that such an important topic to you? And what do those terms mean? Well, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioning uh, always being learning, I'm a lifelong learner myself. And I feel like that is such an essential part of leadership. Uh, it's about keeping an open mind. It's always trying to seek understanding before trying to be understood. Uh, it, it's all part of uh, the curiosity that makes up the best marketers and the best leaders among us. And to me, um, I, I got so much out of my undergraduate education, but I never seemed to be able to put it into practice. I, I was actually pre-med at the time. Um, and, and I realized I didn't want to major in a science because I'd be scienced for the rest of my life. So I, I looked at my options and lo and behold, there was a, a track called classical civilization or classics, uh, you know, Greek and, and Roman culture and everything around it. And I took Greek Civ 101 and immediately fell in love with, uh, you know, that area because what did it give me? It gave me history. It gave me art, architecture, politics, um, sports. I mean, you name it. And, and so much of, uh, you know, what we became as a society in the Western world was based on uh, those classical ideals. So I just found it so uh, enriching. And then I went to do the first year of med school. I added an MBA on top of it, ended up going into a business field. And, you know, years later, uh, I got tapped to be the first executive in charge of digital communications and social media at Ford. And it was only then that I looked back at what I had learned and, and really what I had continued to learn all along through my interest in literature and continued interest in history. And I realized, you know, humans really aren't that much different than we were three, four thousand years ago. Uh, the, the, the times have changed, obviously. The platforms have changed. The way uh, we connect with each other has changed. But fundamentally, we still want the same kind of thing. And humans are uh, just amazingly consistent. And to me, uh, that kind of gave birth to this whole timeless and timely concept that 
things we're struggling with today we'll always have struggles but we don't have to feel like we're alone or like we're uh, we're going down a path that has no map because we can pull on examples from the past and learn from other people's mistakes and learn from what's been done in the past and hopefully get to where we want to go in a more efficient way. So much to unpack there. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, glad we have you uh, on this side of the aisle, so to speak, as opposed to uh, in a hospital. Of course, hospital, healthcare. Um, thank you to everyone out there currently with this COVID mess going on for putting your own lives uh, on the line as well, while helping helping others. Um, Tim Ash was on the show. He talked about the primal brain and he touched on some of those things, you know, how things haven't changed and how we how we do some of those things. But but there's also a danger, right? To, I don't wanna say learn from the past, but applying an old concept to something new. I'll give you a quick example and then we can debate it, I guess. Um, Andy Crestadino said um, on the upcoming episode here, his advice for 2021, he's talking about publish less. You already have all this content. Why are you not optimizing the content you already have instead of just cranking out new stuff? And he's not saying we shouldn't publish content, but I, the more I think about it, Scott, I think the reason people keep cranking out content without thinking about it is because that's how you used to do it. When I was a journalist, the paper would go out every day. It needed articles. I got to write new articles. My website doesn't come out every day. It comes out whenever, right? And it has articles that perform for years at a time. So where's that fine line to, or, or like the radio, I don't know if you remember this, but when um, radio to TV, right? At the beginning, they were reading radio scripts on TV, which is super boring. <laughs> But they were applying a radio concept to TV, right? People didn't know any better. And now, of course, you know, now we have podcasting, which is kind of like radio, not, not quite, because it doesn't go away. It rings in search as well and all those things. So where do you find that line between learning from the past, applying what you know from the past to this is just fundamentally different? Well, you know, let's not forget in the old days of uh, newspaper publication when everything was primarily print, um, you had columnists. Uh, and, and let's take the, the nationally syndicated col columnists, people like Dear Abby, the advice columnist, or uh, Art, Art mm -hmm. Buckwald, a humor columnist. Uh, they would, they, there's a couple things. One, they could prepare content weeks or even months in advance because it didn't necessarily need to hew to current events. I mean, they, they needed to be in touch with what people were experiencing, but it didn't need to be, you know, like breaking news. Um, but they would also go on holiday, go on vacation from time to time, and there'd be a substitute advice columnist or humor columnist. So, or, or some of their old pieces from a decade before, because it was timeless in nature, it would be rerun, right? So I think we need to take that same kind of thinking and look at the bulk of content that we've already created and see which is, is evergreen. You know, which of our content uh, can, can be republished without a date on it? You know, if you, if you looked at a, at a blog post or an email newsletter and it didn't have a date, would that matter? Okay. And the other thing uh, that I think is uh, important, the, the flip side of this in, in terms of not publishing as much with, I, which I 
completely agree with uh, from Andy is we need to be comfortable with silence. I, I think <laughs> too often we just want to fill the airwaves. You know, I've seen a number of speakers out there, particularly on the marketing circuit, who just speak so quickly and hit you with, you know, point after point after point. And to me, at least when I'm speaking, I, I like to pause. I like to give people a chance to think about what it is I've said, maybe to process it a little bit. Even if they don't agree with me, I want them to be able to, to take that and internalize it. And there was a, there was a wonderful story I read last year uh, in, a, in a book that was um, commemorating uh, uh, September 11th. It's called The Only Plane in the Sky. And it's written by, a, um, I think, a Washington Post uh, journalist. And it was ostensibly about what was going on behind the scenes on Air Force One. But it also incorporated a lot of other stories in the 48 hours preceding and following uh, September 11th. And one of the stories was from Peter Jennings. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the name Peter Jennings, Peter Jennings was... Uh, the big name in uh, ABC News. He was the nightly anchor for many years. And he was also the anchor that typically manned the desk when uh, some breaking news or crisis was happening. You know, the, the O.J. Simpson chase, for example. Um, but he was there on September 11th at the anchor desk. And he said, we're just going to sit here and, and look at the pictures. And, and he said, the mistake many of us make in the news media is we try to talk through everything when we should just pause and let silence take over and let people absorb what it is they're seeing or thinking. And I thought, what a powerful message for storytellers. You know, we don't always need to, to go through from beginning to middle to end and bring people along. We don't need to have something out every single day. But when we do choose to pick up that pause, when we do choose to publish, it ought to be something that's really worth listening to, that is high quality, that is worthy of taking someone's time away from something else that they're doing. Of course, what's interesting about embracing the pause, it's probably, or the silence, it's probably the most common thing I edit out in the podcasts, <laughs> right? So, so if uh, so, let's say you say something. I'm thinking about it, and there is a little bit of a pause, not even a long one, but it mm -hmm. looks long on the timeline, right? Because most of the rest of the time we're talking, I'll cut it. <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, an inveterate um, podcaster myself, I understand. But you know what? There are podcast apps now that actually take care of that for you that people can program. That will speed our conversation up, which I think is horrible, uh, or that will <laughs> remove any kind of uh, moments of silence in there. And for me, I was doing a podcast, a professional podcast, a couple of years ago, and uh, it was it, it was basically small vignettes, five minute stories or so, to make a point about leadership or marketing. And it was it was in the style of Paul Harvey, who was an old radio guy, uh, who did the rest of the story, and. Part of Paul Harvey's uh, allure was his pacing. 
And, and pacing and timing are everything in performance. Certainly in comedy, we know about timing. But for the dramatic pause to work, it needs to be left in there. Otherwise, it's not dramatic. You know? and, and I think we're, we're actually missing out on some of that with, uh, with these algorithms and, and programs that we can use to remove silence that we really need now more than ever. For the dramatic pause to work, Google Podcast cannot trim the silence. <laughs> it's so it's yeah. so true. But you know what? I, I have that thing actually turned on as well, mm -hmm. now that you mention it. And I listen, uh, sometimes I listen regular speed. I usually have 1.2. If depending what the show is, I do sometimes use 1.5. But usually 1.5, you yeah. lose too much of the yeah. personality. I'm currently accepting requests for future virtual and on-site keynotes and workshops. In 2020 alone, I've spoken in Singapore and Istanbul, virtually of course, thanks COVID. I can't wait to get back on the road, and if we still can't get on the road in 2021, I would be happy to speak at your event virtually. Please reach out to me, ctrap at gmail.com or authenticstorytelling.net. So let's talk about what what's timeless content how do we create that uh i mean is it as simple as just not having a current reference or do we have to find specific topics or what are your best practices to do timeless content? well look i think everyone uh, in in their own particular field knows uh, you know, what is current and, and what is timeless. And, and I don't pretend to know what, you know, whether it's healthcare or uh, the financial services or automotive or, you know, whatever vertical you're in uh, to be able to tell you what that is, you know, it because you live and breathe it every single day. Um, but to be able to look back at, you know, certain developments that were important. For example, when I was at Ford, we looked back at a lot of the things that Henry Ford had done and it, it worked for our current purposes for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Henry Ford was a visionary, you know, he, he changed the face of the earth as we know it. And when Steve jobs died in 2011, uh, there were two other, you know, kind of geniuses of, of business that were referenced uh, along with Steve jobs. One was Thomas Edison. The other was Henry Ford, right? The other thing is Henry Ford was the personification of Ford Motor Company. And in the 21st century, when it's still being uh, led by uh, a family member, his great-grandson is the executive chairman. The family still controls most of the company. That, that personal element is really important. And to be able to take that thread and bring it through from the company's early days to uh, its, its current existence... Uh, was something that was timeless, right? So I think everybody has, whether it's an origin story or uh, a, a historic moment or, uh, you know, a, a major development in the past of their, their company that is timeless and that they can extract lessons from that support their underlying strategy. And that's why it's important to remember, to know that story, right? Why, how did we start? Why did we start? What did we do? What do we stand for? I mean, there is, I don't know if you run into this, Scott, but I hear it all the time. You know, why, why does this company exist? 
oh, we want to make money. I'm like, well, so do I. <laughs> Who doesn't? But we got to, you know, but we have to make, we have to have a better story yeah. than just that. You know, uh, one of my, one of my favorite authors is David McCullough, who is a historian. Uh, he wrote John Adams. He wrote Truman, uh, 1776. And you've probably heard him narrating some great shows. But um, in an interview on C-SPAN, and this was specifically promoting his book, 1776, he said, there's a kind of hubris about the present, that everything we do is the right way to do it, or that everything we achieve is the ultimate achievement. Or that those people who preceded us weren't quite as bright as we were or weren't quite as savvy about life and the realities of what matters. That's an arrogant and, I think, ignorant view of life. There's so much we can learn from history, and there's so much we can learn from those people. I mean, there's always something we can learn. Uh, now, one, one thing, uh, as we're talking about learning, I know you talk about the shiny object <laughs> syndrome which is an interesting topic to me because there are shiny objects, but there are also shiny objects that can help you. Like I'll give you an example. And again, this is an example I seem to cite often. Um, live streaming and, and podcasting is a little bit of a shiny object right now, but it seems to work. It, in fact, it makes my life a lot easier, right? Because I'm talking to people and then I get all this content and then I can quote people in articles. I can do this and I can do that. And it's just, it's so much easier than, than just uh, than not doing it, right? Especially when you tie it all together. So where is that fine line as we're thinking about our content strategy, especially between the shiny object syndrome and using what's new to our uh, Well, I think success? The, the point you make there, Christoph, about podcasting is is an essential one because first of all, let's remember that podcasting in its current form has been around since 2005. You know, this isn't something that just sprung up mm -hmm. last year and everyone's jumping all over. Although <laughs> it does seem like everybody uh, has uh, has a podcast these days, um, but it's been around for a while, and the concept behind it has been around even longer. You can talk radio <laughs> and. Um, you know, the, the development of radio since the 1920s or so and for entertainment purposes and storytelling and sponsorships and all the rest. So the, the concept is is solid. Uh, but what I think that the, the difference is here and you you articulated it perfectly. You can get so much out of it from not only learning yourself, but the content you create. Um, what it does is it underlies or undergirds your strategy. Right. It gives you material for what you're already trying to do. And I think when I talk about shiny object syndrome, it's about people who are constantly chasing trends and trying to be ahead of the curve or on the on the cusp of the curve uh, to, to just go where new audiences are without necessarily thinking through. Does this support us strategically? Does this help us accomplish the goals we're trying to accomplish? And furthermore. Uh, I, I think one of the most uh, you know, egregious parts of chasing these trends is it begins to spread you too thin. There are only so many places that you can be and do your job well. Now, with podcasting, that, that gives you, you know, a, a particular uh, area of expertise where you, you become known in the audio space, but it also gives you a transcript 
It gives you quotes to use. It gives you article material for the future. Uh, there, there's so much there that you can extract from it versus, oh, I don't know, a, a, a reel or a, a, a TikTok video, um, which is great and creative and very important for some people. But if you're, if you're really focusing the bulk of your effort on audio content creation, <clears throat> are you going to be really good about video creation at the same time? Right? It's about focus and putting your resources into the things that matter most. What I found very interesting about the comment on everyone has a podcast. Um, so I was on a, I was on NBC news radio and the guy said, everybody that comes on here has a podcast. Do you have a podcast? <laughs> like, of course. And he said, of course. Um, but the other thing is, you know, everybody has a podcast, but it's, it's a little bit like saying everybody has, um, you know, a, a Twitter profile or a Facebook profile. That doesn't mean, yeah, I, you know, it's a good podcast. Like, you know, uh, people don't listen or or you don't create stuff, you know, like, I mean, for, for a big chunk of the yeah. winter here or fall, I guess it's not winter officially. I publish mm -hmm. daily. Right. Uh, and now in January, we're planning on going a little, little slower, but um, at the end of the day, you do have to do that. Um, you have to produce things. Um, when we talk about um, timely versus timeless, what's the what's the um, space? What's the room for timely content? So, for example, on, on authenticstorytelling.net, some of the highest performing articles over the years have actually been not all of them, but some of them have been timely content. Like this is not working in Instagram. Here's how you fix it quickly. Uh, here is how you do something that that is currently happening, um, and and they have a relatively short shelf life. Sometimes you know a couple days to a couple months, um, and then you of course have the longer tail content that that is a little bit um, more evergreen. But what's the what's this what's the room for timely content? How often should we focus on that? And how would that? Well, I think timely experience? content. Uh, it's it's kind of like when somebody asked uh, Abraham Lincoln when he was running for president. Right? He he was. Uh, an outsider. He was from uh, the backwoods, literally the backwoods of America. Uh, and he was the tallest candidate and certainly the tallest president that we ever had. He was six foot four, which in the mid 1800s was really tall. And someone at one of his appearances said, Mr. Lincoln, um, how long should a man's legs be? And, and Lincoln kind of paused <laughs> a moment and nodded. And he said, well, on the whole, I'd say they should be long enough to reach the ground. So what does that mean for timely content? Well, you should be making timely content uh, as frequently as uh, the present calls for it, right? And, and not just, uh, you know, hashtag jacking or news jacking, but doing stuff that's relevant to, again, to your, to your strategic goals and to the industry you're in. Um, you know, you, you look at some of the news this week uh, with all these acquisitions and particularly the Salesforce acquisition of Slack. Um, that affects a lot of businesses. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that have made timely content about the Salesforce acquisition of Slack. Right. That's something that you can kind of use as a tentpole to, uh, to, to, to prop a story around. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just reporting on that. It, you, you would be extracting relevancy and making it 
contextual for your audience to help <clears> them understand what this means for them? Because ultimately, ultimately, everyone out there wants to know what's in it for me, right? Regardless of whatever the subject is, how are you helping me? How are you helping me achieve my goals? How are you helping me uh, lead a more calm and ordered life? How are you helping me become a better leader? It's, it's all about me. So to the degree you can uh, consider the topics that you're tackling and the timeliness of those topics, um, it really needs to be centered around value creation. And I do think that the value creation actually happens uh, when you add additional uh, context. So I'm thinking about the Salesforce Slack uh, acquisition. Um, I actually wouldn't even know what I could add to that discussion currently, right? Um, and so don't just report the news. Everybody has reported the news already. But if you have something to say that's worthwhile to share, something that goes deeper than the news, which you're not going to rank for the news, right? Everybody has already covered that. Uh, but but what's the deeper thing you can talk about? Um, you know, maybe you use both tools already, and maybe you can say, "Here's my wish list. Uh, please integrate Slack into Salesforce better, right? Because chatter in Salesforce is just not the best tool to use. High quality content, Scott. We talked about that earlier. What's high quality content? How do we define that? Well, I think everyone will have a, a different definition based on uh, what they're looking to do. For me, you know, when I think about my newsletter, Timeless and Timely, and it comes out twice a week, I have one free edition uh, for everyone on Wednesdays, and then one uh, for my paid subscribers, which is a little more robust, has links and recommendations to it. When I'm, when I'm writing my newsletter, I want to think, well, what's going to, what's going to keep their attention? Um, what can I give them that no one else is giving them? You know, and to me, that's quality. And, and some of it comes from uh, writing from very personal uh, experiences or a very personal perspective, again, because that's unique to me. Um, and, and it also uh, helps evoke a little more emotion, a little more empathy from people. They can, uh, we, we can relate to each other. Um, but I also like to back up what it is I'm saying with additional references, for further reading for people to think about. And to me, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not spending probably 10 times as long uh, as it takes to, to write it in researching it, um, then I'm probably not doing a good job. I'm not putting something together that's quality. And to me, the writing and editing part uh, is, is absolutely important. But the research that goes into that, to really make it a well-informed piece and to, to hit all the notes I want to hit, um, to me, that's high quality. And, and ultimately, it has to be crafted in a way that uh, makes people want to consume it. It has to be, um, you know, you have to tell them a story. You have to lead them along. If you're just spitting facts out of people, um, they're going to get disinterested. You know, I, <clears throat> it's funny. I had this conversation uh, recently with someone who said, I hate history. And I, you know, I was horrified as, a, <laughs> as, a, as a, an amateur historian myself, someone who's appreciated history. And I said, well, why? Why do you hate history? There's so much richness there. And they said, oh, 
in school, all they had us do was memorize dates and names and places. And I said, well, that's, that's not a problem of history. That's a problem of your instructor, right? Because what is history but a set of stories? And the, the teacher's job, the professor, the teacher, the instructor, the, the marketer, uh, the, the business leader, their job is to be the best storyteller they can be. And when someone takes all those names, dates, and places and puts them together, you know, it, it's the difference between saying um, the king died and then the queen died and saying the king died and then the queen died of grief, right? That's, that's the setting for a story rather than just a couple of side-by-side -side facts. And if you can take everything you've got and craft it in a way that really interests people, then you've got yourself a story and you've got high quality content. And there are so many stories to tell. And that's, that's one thing I think always uh, that strikes me. I mean, especially when we talk about history, think about all the stories that hadn't, that didn't, that weren't told. Right. And, and uh, I'll give you an example. Um, last year, 2019, I, I flew to Hong Kong, right. As they were having all the protests and the protests were happening mm. at the airport. Right. When I was going to land, which I get it. There was like 12 hours to go on the flight or 13. Uh, but I called the car from the hotel. And I said, can you pick me up, you know, just to be a little safer. And um, when I got there, mm. it looked like a normal airport. Right. Um, things had already moved on. So my point is that there is the, the history of the Hong Kong protests. And of course, there's been other political developments there as well since. But there are also other stories, right? It's not always, it's, it's not just one story. It's not just one thing happening. What are other people doing? I'm using this example to keep that in mind when people say to me, oh, we don't have a story to tell or it's not unique or whatever. But everybody has a story of some uniqueness. Um, so, I mean, even if they have similar experiences. Absolutely. I mean, we are, <laughs> we're all humans. We, we all come from uh, some place. <clears throat> We've all had unique experiences. I mean, you think within uh, within your own company. I mean, all these people uh, that work for you, they have thousands and thousands of stories. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's so rich to mine your employee base for stories. If Even if you can't come up with one yourself, um, everyone's got something to talk about. It's true. They just have to choose to talk about it. Scott, it's been great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you joining us and sharing your expertise. Um, of course, people can connect with you on Twitter, Scott Monty. Uh, we'll put the link down here, scottmonty.com. Uh, Anywhere else? The newsletter uh, uh, directly is available at timelesstimely.com. And um, I'll see you on the internet.